0: Destiny can often craft the most improbable scenarios as moments of intent intersect with chance. What unfolds next may initially seem puzzling, yet in time, it will all make perfect sense. In the frosty month of December 1978, Deng Xiaoping, China's topmost leader, lifted the veil that shrouded the People's Republic of China from the world's gaze. This moment sparked an era of eager anticipation as international tourists embarked on their inaugural journey to the Far Eastern Shores. Among them was the Morley family from Australia. Ken, his wife Judy, and their three kids, David, Stephen, and Susan. The Morleys were open-hearted, affable, and, as it would turn out, fortuitously favored. Thanks to a collaboration between the Australia-China Friendship Society and the city of Hangzhou, they secured a spot on an enticing guided tour around the region. Their agenda was rich with the natural beauty of the West Lake, tea leaf harvesting activities, and deeply moving visits to historic sites. While these experiences thrilled the adults, the younger members of the group needed something more engaging. Hence, young David Morley ventured off with a friend as soon as the official tour was done. Exiting the opulent Hangzhou Shangri-La Hotel, David rushed to a nearby park under the West Lake skyline, eager for a round of match flicking. Engrossed in his game, David barely noticed a young local man approaching him. Hi, uh, where are you from? David was taken aback. Not many Chinese had conversed with him in English. Hi, I'm David. We're from Australia. Wow, Australia. I know that. It's down south from here. Yeah, we had quite the long plane ride. That sounds thrilling. I've never been on a plane. David found this exchange of simple pleasantries refreshing and agreed to meet the young man again. In the following days, David and the young man chatted And even tossed a frisbee around the park. You may be wondering now how this casual encounter connects to one of China's tech giants. As we said before, destiny can be quite peculiar. David's father, Ken Morley, took a special liking to the young man, adopting him as his godson. However, Ken was oblivious to the staggering potential this young man possessed. Ken's obituary, after his passing, stated that Ken's kindness extended beyond his family. Most noticeably, for befriending a poor young Chinese boy. And then, the revelation. This boy is now a man who heads a successful company in China. Years following Ken's passing, that young man, Jack Ma, would spearhead the growth of Alibaba, a mammoth e-commerce platform in China whose value would come close to the entire GDP of the Morley's homeland. From 1UP Media, this is Empires, Episode 1 of a 5-part series, Open Sesame. Jack Ma himself has often remarked that he lacks the words to articulate what the Morleys did for him. Their act of kindness sparked a sequence of events, allowing Jack Ma to channel his focus into building what we now know as the Alibaba Group, primarily an e-commerce enterprise in China. Alibaba's domestic operations account for a hefty 70% of all their revenues, while its international commerce contributes another 7%. With a burgeoning cloud division similar to Amazon's, that contributes 9%, and the remaining revenues come from its digital media and distribution wings. Alibaba's sheer magnitude is a sight to behold boasting an annual active user base of 1.3 billion, equivalent to the entire population of India. Their success is grounded in three main pillars, previously under Alibaba's tight control. First is its local e-commerce platform. Next is its strategic logistics partnerships, ensuring broad and timely deliveries. And lastly, Alipay their fintech solution akin to PayPal in the U.S. Alipay would later branch off to become Ant Financial, attracting significant media attention for both commendable and controversial reasons. On one hand, its value grew to a level over 50% larger than Goldman Sachs. On the other, the method of its separation was widely debated and some argued that it was unjust. Further controversy arose when Jack Ma used Ant Financial as a platform to criticize China's own financial institutions at the 2020 Bund Summit in Shanghai. The impact of the Bund Summit was vast. Causing Ant financial spending IPO to be frozen and igniting a media storm that hit both Jack Ma and China. Yet, if we take lessons from history, it's likely that Jack Ma will recover from this setback. Though it might take time. Much like its founder, Alibaba, too, has experienced highs and lows. We'll delve into these, including a thrilling showdown with eBay. But before there was Alibaba, there was just Jack Ma-yoon, a man whose life was marked by a chain of events that led to Alibaba's phenomenal success, even before its official establishment. It was September 10, 1964, 35 years before Alibaba was founded. It's the Year of the Dragon, and a young boy by the name of Ma Yun was born in Hangzhou, China. At this time, China was pulling itself from the ashes of the Great Leap Forward. This period was characterized by agricultural missteps, cultural face-saving, and misguided predictions. Rather than leaping forward, the nation had plunged into the infamous Great Famine. The biggest nation on earth, China, is in turmoil. Is China's aging leader, Mao Zedong, losing control? Has Mao gone mad? Driven, perhaps, to megalomania by the hysterical adulation of the teenage Red guard, Despite the devastation, China's resilience allowed the nation to claw its way back from the brink. This period claimed the lives of an estimated 18 to 45 million people, causing a large-scale diaspora that saw around 50 million Chinese relocate to various parts of Southeast Asia. Amidst these hardships, the Chinese art form of ping Tan offered a much-needed refuge. This unique form of entertainment used comedic ballads and wooden clappers as a rhythmic backdrop, bringing a sense of joy amidst the sorrow. In this harsh landscape, The Ma family, much like their compatriots, struggled daily. Ma Yun's mother toiled in a factory, while his father found solace in photography. This passion for capturing moments would inspire Ma Yun himself, leading to countless hours of footage documenting the birth of Alibaba. When not occupied with her work, the Ma family would relish the local ping-tan performances. Watching the skilled performers, young Ma Yun started developing his humorous style. This wit would later be threaded through his public speeches and personal interactions, becoming a trademark of his leadership style. However, the relative calm of Ma Yun's childhood was shattered in May 1966 by the onset of the Cultural Revolution. A period of intense upheaval that claimed a toll ranging from hundreds of thousands to millions. During the next decade, Ma would bury himself into whatever distractions he could find, discovering the first thing that would change his life. This is the latest dispatch just received in our newsroom and further details of this continuing story. The English Broadcast Captivated by the foreign language, he dedicated hours practicing and mimicking the announcers, eventually gaining conversational proficiency. Today, this ability makes him one of the few China billionaires that can swap between Eastern and Western tongues with ease his linguistic prowess would go on to play a crucial role in impressing his co-founders, attracting billionaire investors, and giving him a global stage, from Harvard to the World Economic Forum. A key reason behind his quick fluency was China's emerging openness to the outside world. Luckily, Ma Yun's hometown, Hangzhou, had been graced by then-U.S. President Richard Nixon's visit, marking it as a must-see destination for foreign travelers. As swaths of Westerners came into China, Ma Yun would get on his bicycle every morning at 5 a.m., cycling over 40 minutes, eager to interact with the Western visitors and practice his English. Recognizing the need for a more Western-friendly moniker, he chose Jack, upon the suggestion of American tourists. Henceforth, Ma Yun became known as Jack Ma. And not long later, Jack would meet the Morleys from Australia. The Morleys were an interesting bunch, particularly their father, Ken Morley, who was actually a former member of Australia's Communist Party. Born from a humble background, his political affinity made a visit to China seem inevitable. After their tour, the Morley stayed in touch with Jack, helping him improve his English through letters. By 1985, Ken would invite Jack over to Australia, one of the most profound experiences in the young Jack Moss life. The flight to Australia will take a while. After all, Hangzhou and Australia are over 6,000 kilometers apart. If you're enjoying Empires so far, please give us a quick five-star review on wherever you're listening to Empires. It'll help the podcast. We're about to touch down. Make sure you've buckled your seatbelts. We've arrived in Australia. It's 1985, 14 years before Alibaba was founded, and a rather perplexed Jack Ma found himself in Newcastle Airport, Australia. Don't get him wrong, he knew that Australia was an interesting place from the Morleys, but he didn't expect what he saw. The Morleys had told him that they stayed in a suburb, not a city. Half expecting an empty, rundown airport, Jack Ma was greeted instead by the 13th busiest airport in Australia, brimming with life. Maneuvering his way through the crowd, Ken spotted the young Jack Ma and rescued him to their car. How was your flight, Jack? Uh, I can't complain. It was my first time ever leaving China. So what's the plan? I'll show you around the suburb, then we'll meet friends, family, and possibly eat some fresh local Australian produce. Let's go! Whoa! Jack could hardly contain himself as they passed by Warimi Regional Park. In Hangzhou, Jack was used to the sight of a scenic pagoda perched behind a vast lake. But the water always had an end. In Australia, the seemingly infinite stretch of the Blue Sea was beyond his imagination. Moreover, the range of fresh produce, the architecture, and the welcoming nature of its people made him realize that everything he had learned about Australia, and the world in general, might have been wrong. In that one month in Australia, Jack Ma would have felt that the world had moved faster than China and with a greater sense of worldliness, he returned realizing that he too should move fast. The relationship between the Morleys and Jack gave him a window to another world, but more importantly, a generous lifeline that made times a little less tough for Jack. From sponsoring his university live-in expenses to an 18000 US dollar apartment, Jack would come to call Ken Morley his Australian dad and mentor. Paradoxical that Ken, who was once in Australia's Communist Party, would open the gates for Jack to become China's wealthiest capitalist. It's 1994, five years before Alibaba was founded and 29-year-old Jack Ma was in Seattle. Ever since his enlightening journey to Australia, Jack Ma had sharpened his English skills to the point of becoming a university-level English teacher. He had initiated a translation agency as well, though unfortunately, due to poor business decisions, bankruptcy was looming over the company. However, his proficiency in English garnered the attention of the administration of Tonglu County, which required assistance with a construction dispute between Tonglu's logistic companies and the Americans. The payment from Tonglu offered a lifeline for his ailing company, provided he understood the dispute's intricacies from the American perspective. Borrowing four thousand U.S. dollars in savings from friends and family equivalent to six years of his salary, Jack took a trip down to Las Vegas. His tale becomes a bit nebulous here, but some accounts suggest that his Las Vegas trip not only proved futile, but also went sour. Ironically, the Americans wanted to hire him, but Jack refused. As tensions escalated, it was rumored that his belongings were held as collateral. Left with no other choice, Jack abandoned the negotiations and the company, purchasing a ticket to Seattle instead. Here, he sought refuge in a friend's relative's home, not knowing that he was on the cusp of something extraordinary. Here's a cup of coffee, Jack. His friend's relative offered him a comforting mug of Starbucks coffee. Freshly brewed from Pike Place Visibly shaken Jack took a slow sip Come Jack Uh, Let me show you something His friend's relative said In China Jack had heard about the internet But he had hardly grasped What it was The internet is a vast directory Connecting governments And businesses worldwide Go ahead Search anything you like you're bound to find it. Pondering for a while, Jack, who probably needed a cold one, typed German beer. It was slow, but sure enough, a couple of German beer companies appeared on the screen. Then Jack proceeded to type American beer. Again, another bunch of companies popped up. Excited, he then typed Chinese beer expecting to see the words Qingdao, But instead, he was met with an error. Baffled, he tried again. Error. So instead, he typed in C-H-I-N-A. China. Again, error. To his and everyone's astonishment, the largest country in the world was absent from the World Wide Web. Turning to his friend's relative, he voiced his vision. Let's create something about China. They spent hours building a basic webpage for Jack's translation agency, naming it Hope Translation. At this point, Hope was indeed all that Jack had. But three hours later, he would have something a little more. Five emails, three from the U.S., one from Japan and another from Germany. As the emails rolled in, Jack saw a new vision for China. He realized in a moment of clarity that the Internet was the future. It was more than words on a screen. It was a vast web connecting people and ideas across the globe. With a heart full of ambition, he decided to transform hope translation into China pages, ceasing to be a translation service. Instead, it would be a bridge helping Chinese companies step onto the world stage. This marked Jack's first internet startup. But beneath the thrill lay a harsh reality, a foreboding lesson waiting to unfold. The world of startups was treacherous littered with unseen obstacles. It was a world that wouldn't hesitate to teach why so many ventures crumble. And like many before him, Jack was in for a painful lesson. The years that followed proved to the team at China Pages that the internet was truly something special. Clients that partnered with China Pages experienced traffic like they never did before. From a law firm that had overseas clients calling round the clock, to a hotel that attracted delegates after a United Nations conference. China Pages attracted not only private, but government support when they were contracted by Hangzhou to create the website for the Formula One Powerboat World Championship. But beneath all this excitement, was a huge problem. Hangzhou had no internet connection. So Jack Ma had been orchestrating an almost comedic process to deliver results. With every client, he would first ask for marketing materials of their company and products. Then, the China Pages team would translate the materials before sending the translated collateral straight to Seattle. In Seattle, the friend he had met before would design the website and put the materials up online. Finally, his friend would screenshot the materials, then mail them back to Hangzhou for Jack to show his clients that their website was now online. This arrangement made China Pages almost seem like a con man if not for the increased traffic that clients received after. Luckily, by late 1995, China had stepped up its internet connection efforts and introduced competition into the telecommunications market. Through using competing ministries that ran different state-owned telecommunication enterprises, internet connectivity became democratized for the masses. With this change, China Pages could finally operate online in Hangzhou. Today, the internet has revolutionized China so profoundly that even street beggars offer QR codes for digital money transfers, with nearly all transactions happening online. Yet, back in those early days, the internet was a seed of hope, sprouting expectations that quickly caught the media's attention. This was Jack Ma's golden hour. Utilizing an array of connections and leveraging his knowledge of Western literature, he curated an image of himself as an internet sage and attracted a significant following. As early as July 1996, three years before Alibaba's inception, Jack Ma's China Pages graced the front page of a major Chinese newspaper. His journey even inspired a documentary titled My and the Scholar, illuminating the struggles he encountered while cultivating his company. And those challenges were indeed formidable. China Pages essentially functioned as a directory, its revenue hinging on the fees it charged businesses to be listed. At the time, China's internet penetration was sparse translating into insufficient viewership to sell advertisements. In essence, China Pages was in a waiting game, waiting for the rest of China to venture online. And even then, there was no guarantee that they would be the biggest portal to capture all the advertising dollars. It seemed unlikely that China Pages would succeed. It's February 1996, three years before Alibaba was founded, and China Pages was fast going bankrupt. The company was living off a 10,000 yuan contract, and the team placed their hope in securing a large contract to build Che Chiang's government website. But large contracts attract large predators. And Hangzhou Diff Communication, a powerful state-owned entity, entered the bidding. To make matters worse, they simultaneously initiated a hostile takeover of China Pages. While some might see this as a saving grace, hostile takeovers seldom come with fair valuations. And more importantly, Jack had dreamt of being a trailblazing entrepreneur, leading China's internet revolution. To him, this might be akin a sellout. The outcome was a joint venture, Diff Hope, where Diff held a controlling 70% stake, backing it with a 170,000 US dollar investment. China Pages owned the remainder, with Jack installed as the general manager. Although it initially appeared that Jack retained a leadership role, he would soon discover that he was In truth, little more than a figurehead. Reflecting on the ordeal years later, after Alibaba's success, Jack would openly share his experience. When the joint venture was formed, disaster followed. They had five votes on the board, and we had two. Whenever there was a board meeting, whatever ideas I put forward, if one of them voted against it, The rest of them followed suit. During five or six board meetings, none of our ideas were passed. Jack had effectively lost control of his pioneering venture and admitted as much to the media. I called myself a blind man riding on the back of blind tigers. Without knowing anything about technology or computers, I started the first company. And after years of terrible experience, we failed. With no feasible way to reclaim his company, Jack convened an off-site meeting with his China Pages team. In November 1997, he relinquished his stake in the company, relocated to Beijing, and joined a division under the Ministry of Foreign Trade and Economic Cooperation. This might have seemed a low point for Jack. But unbeknownst to him, his tenure in the ministry would prove significant. Not for his deeds, but for the pivotal connection he would forge there. In late 1997, Jerry Yang and his American colleagues arrived in China, prospecting for opportunities. Jack Ma, with his fluent English, was chosen to guide Jerry's team and, in the process, developed a deep bond with them. This bond would ripple through time, leading to an event neither Jerry nor Jack could have anticipated. In May 2005, Jerry Yam, the founder of Yahoo, would make a $1 billion investment in Alibaba, forever changing a billion lives in China. From 1UP Media, this is Empires, Episode 1 of a 5-part series, Open Sesame. (laughs) Next on Empires, we'll learn the tumultuous journey of Alibaba, as Jack and the team struggle to find funding to create the biggest tech company in China history. Follow us so you won't miss out on episode two of our five-part series, Hidden Treasures. Empires is a 1UP Media original. Produced and edited by Guangjin. Audio experienced by Ethan Sam and narrated by Louise Cruz. A quick word on our reenactments and dramatizations. While we can't know exactly what they say, think, or feel at the moment, it is all based on research. Thank you for listening.